I'll read verses 21 and 22. The title of my message tonight is New Wine in New Bottles. Will you young people say amen? <laughs> Praise God. Mark chapter 2, verses 21 through 22. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. When you read verse 21, no man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. And the last part of that verse talks about the rent being made uh, worse. Some might facetiously say that, well, any time a man sows anything, it's going to be worse. <laughs> and the misappropriation of the scripture that says, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also rip. <laughs> Well, as foolish as that might sound, when it comes to spiritual things and the things of God, it takes the miraculous change. It's not what man can do that will last. There must be a divine intervention. There must be the miracle in order for it to change our lives. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees attempted to sow discord among the ranks of the disciples and among the followers of John the Baptist, the disciples of John, the disciples of Jesus, and between the master himself. You can see it very clearly. In verse 16, they asked the disciples, why does Jesus eat with publicans and sinners? Now, isn't it strange that they didn't ask him that question? They asked his disciples, why does your master eat with publicans and sinners. Now, when they wanted to find out about the disciples, they didn't ask them. They asked Jesus. In verse 18, why, does the, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast oft, and thy disciples fast not? Once again, you see the, the tactics here. They go behind the back of Jesus and talk about him to the disciples and say, why does your master eat with the publicans and the sinners? Then they go behind the back of the, the backs of the disciples and go to Jesus and say, why do your disciples not fast? Why aren't they like the disciples of John? Why aren't they like the disciples of the Pharisees even? Dissension, discord, a lack of unity will always destroy the work of God. The scribes and Pharisees knew if they could get something going here, this was the best way to slow down the momentum of what was taking place. There was a phenomenon taking place. Everywhere that Jesus went, as he went about doing good, multitudes of people were being changed and needs being met, miracles were happening, and thanks be unto God, people were being healed and delivered from demons and the power of God was being manifest. Things were getting out of control. The scribes and the Pharisees were losing their followers. 
It seemed as if there was a direct assault upon their kingdom because they were hypocritical. They were not there for the spiritual good of the people. They were the blind leading the blind. And they were whited sepulchres full of dead men's bones, hypocrites. Jesus exposed them for that. And now then that their people are being turned from them to follow Christ, in order to stop that, in order to intervene, they think the best thing we can do is to sow discord. Now that's always an attack of Satan. And it's always one of his main uh, efforts in trying to bring about defeat to the work of God. It's amazing how that sometimes people will, will question leadership. And they went to Jesus about the, the leadership of the disciples. Why do your disciples not fast like the disciples of John the Baptist? And like the disciples of the Pharisees. And then when they wanted to attack Jesus, they did it behind his back, went to the disciples. Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? Well, I've learned this a long time ago. You can't always answer people's criticism directly when it's subtle and when they take matters into their hands that way. The best thing to do is to take those kind of situations to God. Jesus always has the best answer. And every once in a while, I find that people ask questions. They're not intended to find information. People are not interested in information when, in information when they're trying to sow discord. If they wanted information, they'd go to the right source. Right source. But go to the wrong source is simply an effort to interfere with the move of God and the operation of the Holy Ghost. But Jesus knew what was taking place. And the quarrel was intended to divide Jesus and John and the disciples. A challenge of leadership. A hint of the lack of loyalty among the disciples would immediately spread their interest and weaken their front. The suggestion of insubordination among the disciples would bring such division that they would be helpless. Now Jesus gave the parable of the cloth and the wine bottles in verses 21 and 22. The new cloth on old garments and the new wine in old bottles. The parables illustrate the old and the new system. Jesus went to the heart of the problem. He knew that these scribes and Pharisees were not interested in spiritual things. They were interested in customs, traditions. They were interested in something that had given them almost a gravy boat. And so they didn't want that tampered with. And Jesus is saying to them, you don't take a piece of garment that is old and sew new cloth onto it. Because if you do that, the rent will be made worse. The patches of new cloth will tear the old garments. There must be a change. The old customs and old traditions must change. You can't combine law and grace. It would destroy both. And what he is saying is the forced fasting that you're questioning my disciples about is part of the tradition of the elders. The scribes and the Pharisees fasted at least twice a week. And the disciples of John were accustomed to fasting. Now they did not know whether the, the disciples of Jesus fasted or not because Christ had taught them to fast in secret, anoint their face so they didn't appear to men to fast. So they didn't keep the tradition of the elders and the twice a week forced fast that really was meaningless 
and did not have any spiritual connotation, but what they were interested in is keeping a custom, keeping a law, and keeping this tradition. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, the Word of God says, Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And Christ did not want his disciples to be under the bondage, under the yoke of a forced fast or any kind of tradition or custom that had been engineered by people through the passing years of time. But they must learn to keep the word of God. In the fifth chapter of Galatians and in verse 3, the word of God says, He that is circumcised is a debtor to do the whole law. If we're going to insist on the customs, the traditions, and the legalism of the Mosaic law, Paul said, if we keep one part of the law, then it becomes our duty to keep the whole law. If we're going to insist that people be subjected to the law and they not have the, the grace dispensation, then they must keep all of the law. Then in verse 4 of Galatians chapter 5, Christ has become of no effect unto you whosoever you are, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. If we trust in the forced fasting, if we trust in the traditions of the law in respect to circumcision, in respect to keeping the Sabbath day, in respect to doing all the things that was under the Mosaic law, then he said Christ has become of no effect and you aren't fallen from grace if you trust in the law. Christ blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was written against us, nailing it to his cross. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. So the law has been changed. We're not under the Mosaic law. We're not under that dispensation. But we're under the dispensation of grace. Now, I've often taught that there are many things in the Old Testament that carry over into the New Testament law under grace. For instance, friends, you can't say that I'm just under grace and not the law, therefore I'm not obligated to keep any part of the Old Testament. What about thou shalt not commit adultery? What about thou shalt not kill? Thou shalt not steal? Those were Old Testament laws that we're supposed to keep in the New Testament. So we don't throw everything out because it's in the Old Testament. Many things in the Old Testament are reinforced and enlarged and in fact if under the law they could keep a commandment of thou shalt not kill under grace we must not even slander somebody with the words of our mouth it's not just picking up a stone crowning somebody on the head with it i hope they don't hit you on the head with those you guys or it's not just putting a dagger in somebody but you can murder someone with the words of your mouth and under the New Testament, my friends, we are supposed to not do that. We're not even to judge one another in the New Testament. So we're not free as a bird. We have not been removed from any responsibility to God. In fact, we have more to serve the Lord for and more to serve the Lord with than they did in those days. They were frustrated because they were told what to do and didn't have the wherewith to do it. We have the wherewith. We have the Spirit of God. And Christ is in us. And therefore we're to live an overcoming victorious life. But we're not under these laws of thou shalt and thou shalt not. And the laws that had to do with certain customs that were a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. And therefore not expanded and expected to be upon the New Testament church. Only when the New Testament elaborates. Only when the New Testament 
clearly indicates that we're to be under something or we to take it for granted that that's for us today. However, there were some things that preceded the Mosaic law. There were some things that came before it and came after it. Well, Christ blotted out that handwriting of Mosaic ordinances that was written against us and took it out of the way. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 4, the Word of God clearly says Christ is the end of the law for us. Christ is the end of the law. I know people who still keep the Old Testament feast. In fact, we have some relatives that uh, this week or next week are on their way to keep certain feasts of the Old Testament that their particular church and religion and denomination teaches them that they have to keep. And they believe in earning your salvation by works also. But my friends, Christ is the end of the law to those that trust in the Lord. We are justified by faith and, and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by the keeping of the Old Testament law. But Jesus did not come, listen to this, Jesus did not come to make some mild adjustment in religion and to alter religion just a little bit. He came to make a total revolution take place. Glory be to God. He said, now if you take a piece of cloth that has been torn and it's old, an old garment and you sew a new piece of cloth onto it, it's going to make the rend worse because the new cloth will be stronger and it will take from the weaker piece. Every time you wash it, the new piece is going to shrink. It's going to stretch uh, or this, this fabric that it's been sewn onto. And so he says, don't do that. If we try to make some mild adjustment in religion and alter the ways of our path so that we just are self-made, and we pull ourselves out of the quicksand by our own bootstraps, and it's moral reformation, turning over a new leaf, that isn't good enough. Brother, we need a total rebirth. We need to be made over again. And this is what's wrong with so many people today. They have nothing more than religion. They have not been born again. They have not been regenerated. They have not been saved by the power of God and delivered from the power of darkness. In verse 17 of the same chapter, Jesus talks about calling sinners to repentance. Now this is before he said, don't sew a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Don't put new wine in old bottles. In verse 17, he's addressing these scribes and Pharisees that wanted to know why Jesus would eat with sinners and publicans and why the disciples did not fast as often as the disciples of John and of the Pharisees. And he said, I came to call sinners to repentance. What we need to understand today is that the, the world who's interested in just putting on another coat or sewing on a patch, that isn't what God wants. He wants sinners to repent. He wants you to become a new man in Christ Jesus. All things pass away and all things become new. Become a new creation in Christ. So he talks about repentance in verse 17. And then in verses 19 and 20, he talks about keeping the old customs of forced fasting. And then in verse 21 and 22, he talks about bringing in the new way, which is grace, to take the place of the old way, which was the law. The new bottles and the new garments speaks worlds and volumes to us tonight. 
All things have passed away and all things become new. We are a new creation. I saw that on the order of service tonight. I'm a new creation. Did we sing that? I was back there in the baptismal dressing room. Well, they didn't know what I was preaching on, but thank God, friends, that's exactly what we need to become is a new creation created in the likeness of Christ, not after the rudiments of the world and the ways of the world, but the new birth. The old man is crucified, Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. The old man is crucified. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, we're instructed to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now I'm told that as far as the wine bottles are concerned, that in their part of the world, they didn't actually discard an old wine bottle. It could be used to put new wine in if it was truly renewed. You had to take it and soak it, and then you had to rub oil into it, and it had to be preserved so that it would become flexible and pliable, that the new wine would not burst the old bottle in its fermentation process. Now, what God wants us to understand that in our dry, cracked condition, God puts His Holy Spirit in us. It's going to blow us apart. We couldn't stand it. We've got to be rejuvenated. We've got to be revived. We've got to be remade. Hallelujah. We must be renewed. We're still the same flesh and blood. We still live in this body. We still have the same basic personality. But we have some changes that have been taking place. We have been soaked in His presence. We've been rubbed with the oil of the Holy Spirit and anointed by God. We have had a refreshing. We have had a renewal. We have had a rebirth. And old things have passed away and now we've become a new creature in Christ Jesus. True, we may still weigh the same amount and we still have the same appearance when we look in the mirror and shave or, or fix your hair in the morning, whatever. And, and really your personality is basically the same, but your habits sure do change. And your attitudes change. The places you go and the things you do, there's a drastic difference in those kind of activities. And then Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24, put on the new man, which after God is created. The new man, which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. Brother, this is the new wine bottle. This is the new garment. We don't need the patchwork. When I was going to school as a boy, we didn't throw the overalls away when they got holes in the knee and in the seat. Mama always patched them, and it was usually a little brighter color than the faded overalls, which we had to wear until they just, they just couldn't be worn any longer. And so anything you put on them was going to be different in appearance. And so she patched them up for us, and we passed them from the older boy. Thank God I was the older boy. <laughs> down to the middle boy and then down to the younger boy. And so what we need today is not some old garments patched up and an old life just readjusted a little bit. We don't need a mild adjustment. We need a total change. We need to be revolutionized. Our lifestyle needs to be altered. We need to do an about face, go the opposite direction that we have been traveling so that God will be the source a power in our life and not the things of this world dictating to us. The new wine in this story and in this parable tonight, without a doubt, represents the new life in Christ, the spiritual renewal and revival. 
Friends, I'd like to relate that not only to the individual tonight, but relate it to the church. I believe the church needs a revival. We need the old wine bottle to have the soaking and the anointing so that it will be pliable, so that we won't be so stiff and starchy, so that if the Holy Spirit decides that we need five songs instead of two, or if we need an hour sermon instead of a 30-minute sermon, hello, <laughs> we need to be pliable. We don't put new wine in old bottles. Our methodology must be subjected to God for Him to fashion anew. We must say to God, Lord, have thine own way. You don't have to be confined and work within the framework of my understanding how things ought to be done. I heard it said just the other day, well, that's not the way we used to do it in our church. Hallelujah. <laughs> we need new wine put into new bottles. And we don't want to patch up and, and sew new cloth on old garments. We need a total change, revolutionized and revived by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. There's an excess of many things, but there is not an excess of letting the Holy Spirit having His way. He must dictate. He must run the show. He must tell us the will of the Father. Now, the new wine also represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the individual's life. And you need this tonight. You need more than just some teaching and direction and counsel. You know, the Holy Spirit can do in a few moments, in a mighty baptism of fire from above, more than counselors could do hours on end, more than books and classes and seminars and whatever could accomplish in your life. The Holy Ghost must zero in on your life and change you, change your attitude, change the vessel itself. It's not merely what we put in the vessel that, that needs to be affected, but the vessel must be changed. We must be changed. There's nothing wrong with the wine. There's nothing wrong with the Holy Ghost. There's nothing wrong with the anointing of God. The Bible's still the Bible. The truth is still the truth. But our reaction to it, our reception of it, is really controlled by a lot of factors that need to be subjected to God to be altered and revolutionized and recreated and remade according to the will of God. I feel like God wants to do something in our church. And I don't want to be hidebound by tradition. I don't want to be pressed into a mold of this is the way other churches are doing it. I don't want to feel like that we've got to copy somebody on television or that we've got to be uh, controlled by the multitude of tapes that tell us what the modern day message is. I think what we need to do is what I've asked the church to do this week. Fast and pray and seek God and let revival come from God. You're not going to get revival out of a cassette recorder or player. You're not going to get revival out of the radio or out of the television. You're going to get revival on your knees seeking God. It's prayed down, not worked up. It's experienced, not learned. And it will do something for this community if this church gets so on fire. 
that even when people drive down the interstate, they'll feel something about this place here. There's just something going on over there. It seems like fire from heaven is falling there. Praise God. Praise God. I feel that I should just stop right at that point and do what I'm talking about doing. Let's come down here and pray and ask God for revival. Now, some of you need to be saved. Some of you need an experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost with speaking in other tongues. Some need to be refilled. We need repentance for the wrong kind of things. Jesus said, I didn't come to do what you scribes and Pharisees are telling me all about. I came to call men to repentance. I believe he wants the church to repent for the wrong kind of attitudes, for the wrong kind of motives, so that we will move with the Spirit. I just believe that fasting and prayer can move mountains, change people, change things. If we'll just subject everything to God, we'll come into this place at night not knowing what's going to take place, but knowing it's surely going to be good. Praise God.